Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle, host of The Mental Cast. And as we start this new year off, I just wanted to say a quick thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It does mean a lot to me that so many of you are willing to use your one most valuable resource, time, with me and the podcast. This episode is part one of a three-part series with Donald Reeser Jr. Donnie is a friend and local business owner who usually has some great takes on what I'm discussing and talking about, so I figured it would be great to have him to get on some shows. Part one will focus mainly on his life as a journey as a business owner of a very successful small business, and part two will discuss his recent weight loss journey, which is literally transforming him before our eyes. And lastly, part three will discuss Grim Reeser, Donnie's alter ego as a high-level dart player and the mental aspect of playing darts. I hope you enjoy this episode. Donnie Reeser Jr., Part 1. Welcome to the Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, and I'm your host, Dan Mickle. MentalCast is a weekly podcast dedicated to the discussions around mental performance, coaching, and other great topics for life learners. For more information, visit danmickle.com and 717soul.com. And you can always reach the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Mental Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and I have a special guest today, Mr. Donald Reeser of Reeser's Soft Ice Cream. Say hi. Good evening, folks. <laughs> I thought we'd do something a little bit different, and we're going to do a three-part series here. Um, I think Donnie has a... Can I call you Donnie on this? You can call me whatever you want. I think Donnie has a unique perspective on a lot of things so we're probably going to end up doing a three-part series um, about his professional life his journey in weight loss that he's currently on and his dart playing life those uh, sound like good topics are we okay to discuss all them do we have to clear it with any of your lawyers or anything i'm sure the lawsuits will sort thing out afterwards but for now i'm i'm happy to give you any information you'd like all right, so we are actually recording this in the parking lot at Nick's 114. Feel free to check them out. The link will be in the comments and the description below. Great spot for some food and libations. And really both of our home away from home uh, for some food and entertainment. Uh, yeah, it's been a great place for me the past 25 years. Never got a bad meal down here. Bring my wife, uh, my family down here. It's a fantastic place. So since our schedules are kind of crazy, I figured we'd just do this off-the-fly portable interview session. So I want to start with your work life. So just give a background, basically, of how your season runs, time frame, and then we'll dig into like the, the nuts and bolts and the mental aspect of it. Our ice cream shop, Reacher Soft Ice Cream in Lewisbury, Pennsylvania, is open six months per year. Uh, we're open weekends only in April and May up until Memorial Day, and then we're open six days a week between Memorial Day and Labor Day, uh, always closed Mondays, except for holidays, and then we're open weekends in September also, and uh, Tuesday through Friday, open from 3 p.m. till 10 p.m., Saturdays and Sundays from 12 noon till 10 p.m., and uh, really encompasses about a 60-hour work week, uh, even though we're open 48 hours per week. So there's three distinct areas I want to talk about, and we'll go chronologically from the, the pre- pre-opening to mid-season to closing. Um, from a 
mental aspect? How do you gear yourself up coming off from such a long layoff from the end of one season to the beginning of the next season? Like, how do you prepare yourself for the grind that you know is coming? I, I try and involve myself, even in the off season, a little bit every day with something that's going to be going on at the ice cream shop, whether it's uh, paperwork, social media, interacting with uh, customer requests uh, via email, actually going to the shop and putting in some physical work there, whether it's doing carpentry or painting, um, equipment upgrades. So I'm always there, even in the off season. So it's not a huge adjustment to being back at the shop, but we're, I'm certainly beginning to marshal some mental strength during the off season, knowing that basically every aspect of my life goes on hold once the ice cream shop opens. Um, I, I'm pretty much on call 24-7 from the first day of the season to the last day, last day of the season. So it, it's certainly kind of squirreling away that mental energy in preparation for when you know the bell goes off and it's time to go back to work. So what do you find more taxing of your time preseason thinking about the interactions with the customers and the things that you're going to be doing there or are you thinking about um, how you're going to get employees because I'm sure there's there's turnover I mean you have pretty loyal group of employees but with anything there's turnover or is it all the other little things like the compliance with state laws and agricultural laws and the testing like what do you find probably takes up most of your mental and energy and time preseason. Certainly making sure that my staff is going to come back. As you mentioned, we're extremely lucky to have a great core loyal staff. Some of these folks have been there over 25 years. Um, and But there's always a chance they're not going to come back due to changes in their health, employment, other circumstances. So I always try and maintain some sort of contact with them on a weekly basis. Hey, how's school? Hey, how's your other job? How's the family? To let them know that they're more than just, you know, an employee. I consider them part of my extended family. So, and they're pretty proactive. Hey, I'm not going to be able to work as much this year. Or, hey, um, I'm going on vacation from this time to this time. Make sure you don't have me scheduled. So that's really the thing that occupies most of my my concern, my mental energy, just to make sure that these folks are going to be coming back. And if they're not, how am I going to fill uh, a position? Because we run with a very small staff, very highly trained, and we want to make sure that when we start you know, generating income, we've got people that are properly trained, are going to be able to work together you know, really in tight quarters sometimes. Um, so if we have to fill a position, we want to make sure that day one, that person is properly trained. As far as interactions with customers, I've been doing this job for 35 plus years. So there's always something new that's going to come up, but I feel pretty confident in our ability to deal with the day in, day out work. And as far as issues of compliance, et cetera, working with um, Department of Agriculture, uh, DEP, uh, our our bank as far as PCI, which is credit card compliance. These are things I've done dozens of times. So it's just a matter of, you know, are there any changes in in the current agriculture law or, or codes and just being up to date on that. So the biggest thing is making sure the folks that I'm going to be spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week with are folks that are properly trained and I have a good crew that's going to last the entire season year in, year out. 
So without going into the remedy or the process, tell me what is probably the one thing preseason. Obviously, I get that there's technically, from a business standpoint, there's not a preseason. But for just, you know, the the sake of our discussion, April when you open up, you know, prior to that, what's probably the one biggest thing prior to opening day that keeps you awake at night? Quite honestly, it's, you know, it is it is the staffing that we, that we touched upon there because when we are busy, and Dan, I know you're a regular and a loyal customer, you know how busy we can get. It's not unusual on a busy Sunday for us to see, you know, 600, 700 customer visits in a 10-hour period. It can be a 30-minute wait in line for service. And I want to make sure that I have adequate people year-round. Secondary only to that, you know, my life really goes on hold. You know, if you know, if I don't have all my personal issues taken care of, you know, have I spent adequate time, you know, getting the house ready for the summer? It's going to fall on my wife. You know, is my wife prepared for me to be away from uh, from her for long periods of time? Only seeing her maybe a half an hour a night. Uh, I want to make sure that all of my personal business is handled also, because when when work starts. I have to really kind of default to being a businessman. I, I certainly don't put my family second, but they know that I've got to go out and be the face of the company many times to the, you know, to the deficit of, of personal responsibilities. So um, those two things, you know, do I have the staff? And number two, you know, is my family, my, my mom, my dad, my wife, you know, have I spent adequate time with them? And then when I don't get to see them all the time, we're still in, you know, in a, in a good place emotionally uh, for when that season ends. So when I'm working with corporate clients as a business coach or a life coach in, in that sense, um, it's a lot different than when I'm dealing with athletes or musicians. I, I feel from a mental training and coaching standpoint, that stuff's pretty easy. You know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to expect. On the, on the corporate and business side, it's a whole slew of you have no idea what you're going to get. So how do you prepare, let's say, for your first, I guess, roadblock, as I like to call them, which would be the staffing situation. Let's say um, it's a week before opening and you're down a person. What What's your thought process? Like wh- what's going through your mind knowing that you're down that that person I, I try to prepare the rest of the staff and saying hey look you know employee ABC is not going to be available this day this week we're going to be short what can you give me comfortably hour wise I don't I try not to compel people to work certain shifts because that's how we kind of breed a bit more loyalty they know that I'm gonna be flexible in scheduling and that creates a lot more willingness to come in and, and work extra hours. So once I see where the gaps lie, I'm fortunate, even at the age of 52, I'm still able to run every station in that business efficiently, quickly, almost probably faster than any employee there. So I know that if we're short in the kitchen, I can I can run that. If we need a server, I can do that. So I try and gauge where will I be needed the most to, to plug up those gaps. And then 
I try and get adequate rest, prepare myself mentally that, hey, listen, you're going to be on the service window for 10 hours. You're having a 13-hour day on Saturday. You better be ready for it. You know, are your legs ready? You know, you know, do you have comfortable shoes? Um, do you have a good mix, you know, music mix to play in the kitchen? It's just all that preparation. And then when you're doing it, it's easy. You know, it's, I forget who said it. You know, it's not the, the climbing of Mount Fuji that kills you. It's the walk to the base of the hill. If you don't get worn down preparing for it, worrying about it, you're going to be okay the day of. You can't wear yourself out worrying about things. It's okay to be aware of the problems, but if you continually obsess about it, you're going to be no good when you actually have to execute. So I just try to be aware of, of where we're going to have problems, inform the people I'm working with, hey, we're short this day, or this piece of machinery is not working up to spec. Here's our plan to get past it. And then going out and executing to the first, you know, the, the, the greatest of my physical ability and just taking from my coworkers what they can give in sometimes not the best of the situations. So I think you kind of hit on my biggest point is the fact that you said, you know, it, you don't want to spend your energy worrying about it, but it's okay to recognize and notice those shortcomings. And I think in the business world, especially in the business world, that is where a lot of companies and a lot of people fall is they don't even want to look at those roadblocks. They feel like if I don't acknowledge them, they don't exist and they won't happen. And I would venture to guess, and obviously you, you can go in more detail about it, but just knowing you and, and hearing some of the stories or some of the actions and talks that we've had, there's been a lot of times that you have prepped for that situation where you're going to be a person down for an eight hour shift, but then someone ends up coming in and bailing you out after four hours or six hours. And you didn't waste the time and energy thinking about that whole eight hours, how miserable it was going to be without that, and it wouldn't have happened. Um, do you find that happens a lot, that you, you recognize the roadblocks and you think about this, what's going to happen, but then how often do you think those roadblocks actually happen, I guess would be my question. They, they still occur, um, but like I said, you know, I, I have an incredibly loyal Staff, I prefer to call them coworkers instead of employees because I am working side by side of them most of the time, and, and they will put their plans on hold if they realize that there is an issue. Um, so, like like you mentioned, be aware of them. Don't obsess about them. And if you have to, if it becomes a worst case scenario, be prepared for it. But many times, I, I have been kind of bailed out. Hey, I, I noticed you're short. Yeah, I can come in for two of those six hours. I can't work all of it. Hey, thank you so much. And through our social media, we'll inform our, our customers, hey, look, we're short today. We're going to do the best we can. If, it's a, if you don't like waiting those extra five minutes, maybe today is not your day to come out. Come in tomorrow. We'll have plenty of staff on. So we also like to prepare our consumers to understand we're going to be a little short or, hey, we're, this piece of equipment's not working. We can't make that today. So if you already create that type of expectation amongst your, your customers, they're not going to come into a rude surprise either. Hey, we're encountering issues. We're sorry. This doesn't happen all the time. We're as embarrassed about it as you're probably put out by it. Please be understanding. And also give me your honest feedback. If you're really upset, tell me. And I'll tell you what we're doing to make it better. But many times I've had an issue, as you call it, a roadblock, and been bailed out by helpful coworkers saying, hey, I'll come remedy that. And that just comes from that culture of, really choosing high quality co-workers treating them fairly 
and then you kind of reap the rewards of that through the years of, of, of having them on your staff. You could probably also get bailed out by friends that have previous ice cream selling experience that would gladly offer their time should you want to take it. I, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. And Dan, could you remind me how many years, days, or hours experience you have in the, uh, in the food service industry? If you could ballpark it, would you say it more or less than a thousand hours? Uh, it, more or less, would you say? Le- it'd be less. Okay. More or less than a hundred? <laughs> less than a hundred. We'll get back to you, but please don't call us. <laughs> It was the best four and a half hours of my life. <laughs> so you hit on something there about talking to your, your consumers. Do you think in the long run it's better for you to say to your consumers, hey, we're short-staffed and our line's going to be – as a, and, and losing that sale for that day because they might not come up, but they're going to stay loyal versus them coming and standing in that line not knowing and, um, you know, end up staying in line for an hour for the ice cream? I think it's better to give people honest information because a lot of companies will not do that. And I think, I know I would want to be treated that way. And honest, you know, information, honest input from, from a company, from a business, from a, from a friend is so rare. So many times people want to gloss over problems or failures or point the finger and I'd rather say, hey, I screwed up today, or I can't fix this problem. You as a customer, as a coworker, as a friend, need to know that I dropped the ball or there's a problem. I don't want you coming with an expectation and having that not be met. I'd rather say, look, there's a problem. Here's what's going to happen or not happen. I'm sorry. Versus you coming out expecting an A-plus experience and then getting there, taking the time, coming out, carving out some time out of your your busy schedule and finding an item wasn't available, the wait was too long, the experience wasn't what you wanted or expected. If you give someone honest information, even if it's bad news, I'll give you bad news rather than lie to you. I, I think that, that is, giving misinformation is 10 times worse than giving honest bad news because it makes you disingenuous with your customer base and now you can't be trusted you know, by your customers. If you give them honest input, it allows them to process, is it my worth, worth my time to come out today? And then I, you know, since we have a very loyal, loyal clientele, I know that I'll be able to make it up to them next time. And if you want to give me negative feedback on social media where I'm reporting it, good. Your input is valuable to me, good and bad. We can't be better unless we know where we did poorly. I'll take one genuine criticism that helps me be better over a thousand compliments any day of the week. So, you know, you and I have talked, and I don't like using the word mental toughness. I prefer using mental flexibility. So, I want to run a scenario through, and we haven't talked about this, so you're not pre-planned. Okay. Just to see how much you've thought about this. It's a week before your opening day, and you fail a test from ag. Um, So, you're not able to sell ice cream until it's fixed. Go. What's your? What happens? So I'll get an information from agriculture or DEP, and they say you have a major problem right now. Fortunately, we are on great terms with our service company. That if I make a phone call on a Sunday night at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., a truck is coming in. So if it's an issue as far as refrigeration 
or or quality of mix. You know, say the mix has gone bad. There's a bacteriological bacteriological count that's way too high. We're going to be able to pinpoint where in the process it's gone bad. Has the mix that we received from our dairy bad? Okay, pulp all of that, get a new batch in here. I'll get someone from my private lab to come out and test it. 24-hour turnaround, I'll know if the ice cream is good to sell or not. I'm also going to send along a sample of the raw mix. Now, you tell me if that mix that came out of that bag is good or bad. If it's bad in the bag, we've determined where in the flow of food to our company the problem exists. This is what agriculture calls a HAXP, Hazard Analysis Critical Control Point. Where along the line has the food that's tested badly, caused illness, etc., been compromised? If it's not in the bag, then it must be in the handling, okay? Who handled that mix? Did I handle it? Did someone else handle it? Now it went into the machine. Was the machine cleaned? Who cleaned the machine? Take the machine apart. Clean it again. Reassemble it. Test it. So we have all the resources at our hands to fix those problems. And again, I will reach out immediately. Hey, customers, look, we had a problem with our product which tested unacceptable. Um, we're not going to sell you product that's not going to be up to agriculture or my personal standards. Come on out, get some food, no ice cream today. On the flip side, I can put 100 gallons of hand-dipped ice cream into our cabinets made by another reputable dealer immediately. We won't be able to sell everything on our menu, but we can have a slightly changed menu where we'll still have ice cream until we're able to produce it. Fortunately, we've never had a quality control like that where something has caused a foodborne illness or an outbreak like that, but there's always a a response plan and, and I, I do, do give kudos to Department of Agriculture who require every eating and drinking um, location to have one key person have their surf safe certification which is a five-year certification through agriculture and part of that is like they say HAXP hazard analysis critical control point it's uh, I think a nine-point um, system where you analyze um, where foodborne illness can occur and gives you steps to, to help eliminate it. So in a situation like you described, we have the methodology to test all the product that comes in, go back and retroactively observe the procedures that we use to ensure that our equipment is clean, um, food production goes in a safe manner. So we would simply go back and re-examine the entire flow of food and our processes that could possibly have led to um, unacceptable levels of bacteria making it impossible to sell ice cream that day. So people listening might not understand why we're even talking about all of this, but for me, the reason I want to talk about it is this is technically your downtime. You know, you're out of season and these are all the thoughts going through your mind. And when we come back from this ad for an awesome journal written by an awesome guy, um, we'll discuss more than now we're going to add in the customers and your in-season and all that going on. But the fact that we just spent the last couple minutes talking about just the processes before you even open your doors and the thought that you've gone into it and the fact that you've looked at these roadblocks, um, is that your advice to someone, regardless of their industry, that they need to look at 
hey, it's easy to look at the good and everything's going to run smooth, but you need to take the time and plan for when it goes off the rails and there might be these hiccups and these problems. Do you think that is where a lot of new businesses fail? Absolutely. Everyone, you know, half of everything you do is going to be below average statistically. You have to look at it that way. And it's it's the the people, the, it's the industries, and not just business owners, but entire industries that don't observe how things can go bad at a micro or a macro level. Um, I don't believe in making changes in your product line based on, you know, minor blips in, in, uh, in, 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 in trends, but you have to be aware of how product lines change. But you also have to be aware of every possible you know, permutation where you can fail on a day-to-day basis. Don't obsess over it, but understand that this is where greater people than I have failed. What did they do when they succeeded? What did they do or not do when they failed? Um, so be aware of those roadblocks. Be aware of those pitfalls and have a plan. And you don't have to be a genius, but you should certainly know some smart people who have traveled before you. I mean, you know, the road, the, the map is not the terrain. You can say, oh, I would do this, I would do that. You, you better practice for it on top of that also. We had a, um, a police incident just south of us during the, during the summer where there was a, an active shooter at, a, at another business and less than a mile away. And as soon as that information came you know, across our, our radar, we already had an emergency plan. I told my employees, look, this is the safest area in the building. Go there between those desks. I will be at this point in the building. I informed all of our customers, hey, there is a, a police incident just south of us. Here's the information you need. If you choose to stay, we will make sure you are safe. If you choose to go, we will welcome you back another time. So we've already prepared for a lot of those eventualities. Now, you can't see every single possible roadblock. But you should be in that type of flexible state where you're not surprised or disappointed by anything, but you're really ready to meet that challenge or roadblock head on. Understand that this is what makes a good employee, owner, businessman, consultant, is the ability to greet emerging roadblocks, problems, challenges um, actively. If you haven't anticipated a roadblock or a challenge, that's bad. If you haven't learned from it by responding to it, that's even worse. So, yeah, you should be aware of those things that can affect you negatively. Be prepared and have a strategy to fix them, but also be able and flexible enough to deal with emerging problems that either are very new to your industry or something that you've never encountered before. Do you think that's a lack of training in most industries? Like, do you think because, you know, everyone, the old cliche, time is money, and, you know, company ABC that's selling widgets has their sales force, and they're not going to take the time to have an eight-hour training seminar on how to deal with flexibility and that. They just want sales, get on the phone and making calls. Do you think that there's a much bigger ROI and, and, you know, a a return on everything by taking the time to, to plan on how to maybe not deal with every roadblock, but having the coping skills at any level. I mean, it's obviously you as the business owner have a lot more on your shoulders, but I would think that the people working, you know, in your kitchen and the people working at your window, 
that have the direct point of contact with the customers, they need to kind of be able to deal with those roadblocks. And we'll talk about that in the next segment. But, but do you feel like that's a, an area that you train? I mean, your, your, your employees have been there for a while, but your new employees, do you think you adequately go over, Hey, these are some of the, the pitfalls and roadblocks, or do you just kind of let it up to them to figure out? No, I, we, we, I'm really happy when we don't just teach how we do things. We teach why we do things. And when you see that light bulb click on, it, it, there really is an expression many times on a new hire's face. Oh, that's why we do it the way. Exactly. That really empowers, and I know that's kind of a buzzword, but it really doesn't imp- it does empower a, a coworker when they're, oh, this is why we do it this way. So I try and teach, okay, the first thing is this is how we do it. Learn how we do it. Now, I'm going to explain to you why we do it that way. Oh, that makes total sense. And and sometimes there's follow-up questions. Why don't we do it this way? Okay, go ahead and do it that way. Oh, I see. So definitely you need to give that type of next-tier knowledge, understanding of the process. I mean, it's great when they understand the product, but it is so much more valuable when they understand the process. And the same way with customers. Uh, you and I over lunch had a, had a nice conversation about a different product, and you said, "Well, why don't you do it that way?" When I explained to you, "Oh, we we do it this way because," oh, hey, that makes sense. And you even said back to me, "I know you do it this way because," blah blah blah. When you teach, when you share that information of why, it really makes for an empowered customer, an empowered coworker, and you know, then I know that my staff is proceeding. If they get into a gray area, they're going to look back on that that knowledge and use it accordingly. We try not to have our our employees fall into lockstep and be mindless automatons. We give them that flexibility when they get in a gray area. Oh, this is you know this is our our method of operation. This is probably what we should do until they come back. To, hey, I did it this way. Was that right? Oh yeah. Or maybe I would do it this way instead of that way. Oh, that makes sense. So I really believe that the more information you can give about the why in addition to the how, the better you make your workforce and also your your, your customer base. Cool. All right, let's take a break, uh, sell some journals, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the meat of your uh, season and then the ending of your season, and that'll wrap up our part one of our three-part Donnie Research special. Sound good? Sounds great to me. All right, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with danmickle.com and Soul Performance Academy. Are you looking to take your training and results to the next level? Did you know that most of the top athletes across all sports contribute a lot of their success to journaling? Journaling is a great way to make sure that you're on track with your goals and to help you reflect on the journey that you've been on. The Don't Suck Performance Journal is a great way to start your journaling process or to take your current journaling to the next level. The Don't Sucks Performance Journal is a 16-week, undated, guided journal with a ton of features like monthly, weekly, and daily journal sheets, goal-setting sheets with road mapping, 16 different meditations and mantras every week to help you keep centered, breathing and progressive muscle relaxation scripts to help calm you, daily quotes to keep you motivated, links to audio scripts that you can download and listen to on the go, and a ton of other great resources. The Don't Sucks Performance Journal is great for amateurs, professionals, coaches, and entire teams. Please visit Don't Suck 
bookbooks.com for more information and ordering options. And don't forget, there is a bulk discount available. Again, that is don'tsuckbooks.com to pick up your copy of the Don't Suck Performance Journal. That's don'tsuckbooks.com. I'm not even going to edit us laughing because you know why? This is exactly what I expected, and I can't. And I'm just, I'm just disappointing us both (laughs) as human beings. I'm actually trying to figure out how many people are listening to this, waiting for the moment that this goes off the rails and becomes what everyone expects. It's like that monorail episode from The Simpsons, man. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Donald Reeser Jr., proprietor. Hey, how do you spell proprietor? With at least one E. <laughs> uh, maybe someday we'll do an episode where we fill in all the little uh, side jokes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, and we're talking about his process as a business owner uh, in this three-part series. The next two parts will be about him as a dart player and then about his weight loss uh, journey that he's been on for the last year, but so when we left, we were we were you know prepping for the opening of the season. Now we're in the throws. So just tell everyone how many consecutive days you work once the season starts, like so they get a sense of your life once what the first weekend of April hits. Well, April April and May up until Memorial Day, we're just open three days a week: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now I'm still working five days a week. Um, and that's 27 hours of actual service, which translates to about 40 hours of work during the what I call the preseason, April and early May. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, it's 101 straight days um, of work. Even though we're closed on Mondays, I'm there about six hours in between banking, running errands, scrubbing floors, cleaning machines. Um, so for those 101 straight days, I am... You know, OIO, obligated involuntary officer. You know, if the phone rings at eight in the morning for delivery, I'm there. There are no days off. There's no coming in late. There's no leaving early. Those 101 days, those 14 and a half weeks, translates roughly to 65 to 75 hours of work per week. And it doesn't matter what's going on personally. Um, a couple of seasons ago, my mother um, was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. She's having chemotherapy. Go to work. Wife isn't feeling well. Go to work. Dog, one of our dogs dies 20 minutes before opening. Go to work. Gout outbreak. Go to work. Twisted ankle. Go to work. You know, I, I'm not a martyr for that, but I know what my customers deserve. I know what my staff expects. My parents started the ice cream shop in 1969, and they worked tirelessly. They, they sacrificed a lot. I know what I owe both the brand and my customers. So, I mean, there's no not doing it. There's only going in and doing the job, you know, and doing it to the best of your ability. Um, It's a lot of work. You do need to prepare yourself for it physically and mentally, but after 35, 35 plus years of doing it, it's just like being an athlete. You know, this is the season. You go in and you do it. You know, you, you play to the best of your ability every time you're there. And, there's just you know there's no there's no other option. You go and you do it. And this is the life we chose. So I don't complain about missing Memorial Day or Labor Day picnics or July Fourth. My birthday's in the middle of the summer. Don't care. For those fourteen and a half weeks, in addition to early season, late season, that's where I am. I sell ice cream and I get off on it because that's I really do enjoy what I do and I respect the process 
And if I didn't like my my staff, I didn't like my customers, I couldn't do it day in, day out, season in, season out. So when does, because you are much better at math than I am, when does day 50, day 51 of consecutive days hit? Is that end of July, mid-July? So that would be seven weeks, one day. So that would probably be, I guess, middle of middle of July, late July. All right, so it's July 18th, mm-hmm. and it's been 51 consecutive days of work, a total of probably 80 days of work, counting the weekends and all that. So how what what is your strategy? How do you get up and lace on the same ratty shoes that you've been wearing for 30 years um you know how, how do you how do you prepare yourself and, and how you do it because it's got to be a grind and it's easy to say you know what the outcome is you know that this is a job you've been doing this for so many years but there has to be some process like you have to do something right to to get you up and to motivate you you know i and i, I know we'll touch on it a little bit more when we get to the fitness thing but you know Fear is a big motivator for me. I don't want to let down my parents. And they don't try and look over my shoulder and say, you should do it this way, you should do it that way. I I know how much pride my parents take in the success of our business. So that's a big um, motivator for me is not wanting to let down my family. Um, And I... I like providing for my wife or my my extended my, my family, my friends. So I know that the money's out there. I mean, I'm not driven just by money, but I, I know that I can make good money if I go in and I do that work and I do it well. But uh, I really do take tremendous tremendous pride in the product that we make. Um, I know essentially, I'm putting ice cream on cones and sprinkles on ice cream, and we're not splitting the atom up there. I'm flipping burgers. I'm making fries. But there really is a, a quantum difference between when you do it and you care about each and every order that goes out that window. So I you know, I see our customers in the off-season. I went to Carnes today, delivered ice cream. We were wholesaling ice cream there. I saw two customers. I was able to have a three- or four-minute conversation with them and be proud of our product and our and our business and be able to talk to those people with pride about, hey, what's your favorite item? Yeah, don't forget, we open April 2nd, you know, in the season 2020. Yeah, we're making coffee ice cream for cars today. Yeah, we're going to probably be adding this item next year. To be able to be proud about what you do, translate from going in, especially when you don't feel like going in. I mean, that that's when you really start to get to be better at anything you do. You know, every, everyone, you know, can can perform when their health is perfect and they're mentally focused but on that 50th day and your knee is throbbing and you know you feel like you've been beaten with a piece of rebar and your head hurts if you can go in and perform at the same level of excellence as you did at that first day of the season or you know back when I was 30 years old and young and fresh and you know able to go that that's where you really begin to uh, ascend as as a business person or even just as putting sprinkles on cones, you know, every time you do something, you get a little better at it. So my, my two motivators there are fear that I'll let my family down and the brand down, but also great pride in what we produce. And I know I can, I can only do that by going in and giving everything I have left in me for that one day. All right. So we talked about the, the why and, and the fear, but, but, What's the how? Like, what is your... Is it blaring rock music and 
cliche quotes or, you know, like how do you physically pump yourself up to go into work? Um, one of my favorite authors and, and, and personalities was Anthony Bourdain. And if you have not read Kitchen Confidential, I highly recommend it. Whether you're a cookie or you're a customer or you just like really good, you know, nonfiction literature. I think it's chapter six. It's called A Day in the Life. And it just shows how he gets his brain going. For me, it's a lot of that type of, um, not pessimism, but man, this is this is the life. You've got to love it. You've got to go in and want it. For me, it's just getting up and I've got a list from the night before and I prioritized everything that's going on that day. And once that list is made, we're, we're doing it. There's no question whether we're doing it or not. It's it's The preparation starts the night before. We're going to lay out our our schedule, our our methodology for succeeding the next day or three or four days down the road. Hey, this needs to be done on Tuesday, that on Wednesday, that on Thursday. So when I get up, I've already got my assignments there and I'm thinking about it before I even know how to get to bed. Hey, don't forget that the first thing you do is you got to fire up uh, this piece of machinery because we're going to be making um, hamburger barbecue, which is an eight-hour process. So make sure that you get that beef in right away. So I'm already prioritizing things. That So I've got that list. It's preparing me for you. Now, as soon as I get in, Pandora goes on the um, the Bluetooth speaker. Usually, I'm going to listen to Celtic pub rock. You know, anything from um, Gaelic Storm to Dropkick Murphys. That gets me going. Um, and then when my first staff member comes in. We'll go over the whiteboard. And the whiteboard is all the things I'm going to have my staff member do. Hey, Kendra, Wanda, JoJo, this is what we need. The first thing I need to do is A, B, C. I'm going to work on this. Anything comes up, let me know. Um, so it's a combination of having already put your mind in gear the night before about this is what needs to be done. Now go and do it. Getting there, getting that first cup of coffee, like you said, putting that music on, and then just doing the job and and you know turning that brain down a notch and turning the body on and just going through those rote motions that you've learned over 35 years. You know, and the body will carry you when you don't need to to really, you know, think about some of those processes. They just become natural. And I think that was the nugget I was waiting for. It was the list. Um, you know, I always joke. I, I mean, I make lists, but you're very public about we just have lunch date and we have a list of things that you want to talk about. And I joke about it, but I admire it because I think you realize how much of a list person I am. So the list is key for you, right? Like, I mean, that that's that's your motivator because you know that as, to the best of your ability, you thought out everything you need to do, but it's a roadmap for your day, which is a roadmap to your success. 100%. Or to, or to, my, you know, or to my lack of success. You know, if, I, if I fail, it's like, okay, I, I obviously should not have put that off a day. I, I'm more likely to pull things in from a future date on my list than I am to push it off because I think the biggest lie that, especially in the restaurant industry, comes in, I'll do that tomorrow. Chances are you're not. You're going to come in tomorrow and you're going to be tired. You know, I mean, I make, I know I refine my list on a daily basis. And there's just so much going on that if it's not written down, it's probably not going to get done. I mean, it's not that my memory is getting worse at the age of 52. It's just that there's more things to keep in mind. I mean, world, world's moving a lot faster today than it was 30 years ago. So, and I use very, you know, I, I don't really journal or use uh, any type of electronic media. It's just a piece of eight and a half by 11, or if I'm super busy, piece of legal paper written down, you know, in a 
borrowed or stolen pen and like, this is what I'm doing today. This is what I'm doing and in detail, you know, about what I'm doing. You know, without you know, the list is life for me. You know, without the list, things probably aren't going to get done. You know, I know someone that could probably sell you a journal so you wouldn't have to use index cards. Um, well, index cards are for lower echelon people. I mean, if I could get a freebie, I would probably consider it. But um, you know, budget doesn't allow it right now. <laughs> so, so we talked about in the first part. Um, the, the return investment or the training of companies, um, you know, looking at roadblocks. And then we just talk about the list. Like so far, I think those are probably the two biggest components of, of what's going on. So now the next thing that we add in the conversation is how do you morph from Don, the business owner, to Don, the face of the company when you're looking at the window at a customer that is either... I mean, you get the customers that are just, hey, here's my money, here's my ice cream, great, thank you. And obviously, you're going to get the customers that are unsatisfied with something. But then you also get the customers that think they deserve more or, you know, so how do you bounce between how you deal with all of them and and keep it sane? I mean, there's times I'm sure that you're ready just to tell a customer off or you just want to close the window and walk away, but you can't do that because you're the face of the business. So how do you, is there... A break room, you know, you go in the back, and I mean a break room by literally breaking things and not taking a break. But you know, like what what's your process and how do you overcome those obstacles when you have a quick time to do it? Because you got a line going back the parking lot. How do you go from that customer that you kind of wish would go away to the next one? Um, I'll answer the very last part first. How do I transition from a truly difficult person to the next one? Very easily because I don't take stuff personally. Um, I, I'm pretty. Um, straightforward with my foibles in life and you know if you were a big fan of Game of Thrones like Tyrion said you know never forget who you are wear your failures like an armor no one can use it against you so you know unless it's really super personal if someone uses a slur against me or says something I'm not going to take it personally Um, so it's very easy for me to segue to the next customer and not carry it with me um I'm very, very lucky. I have a number of different skill sets. I, I was a bouncer, you know, at a bar in here. So I, I don't, uh, confrontation doesn't bother me. And fortunately, our customer base is uniformly awesome. Now, when I get a question like this, and it's not the first time, I like to ask the question in return, and I'll have you answer for me, Dan. What percentage of people out there in the world do you think are genuinely abrasive and or difficult? What percentage? Like just in life in general? Yes. Uh, probably less than 1%. Great answer. A lot of, many times people will say, oh, 10, 15% if they're not in the industry. Industry people are a lot more conservative. They say less than 5%. And I agree with you. Let's set the number at 5%. Oh, and, and I said earlier, if the average number of customers maybe on a Sunday will see a 600. Okay. That means you're going to see 30 difficult people during that day. We have two windows. Um, that means each window is going to see 15 difficult people. If I'm on that window for 10 hours, I'm going to see 1.5 difficult people per hour. Or every 40 minutes, someone's getting in my ear and being annoying. That's fine. That's not illegal in the United States. You're welcome to do that. But the biggest thing is just to remain calm during that. And I said, I'm sorry, Dan. I can't do that for you. Well, why not? I don't do it for other people. That's not the way we do things. Um, 
this is not a process or a, uh, a product that we offer. If you'd like to spend more, we can do that. Well, I don't want that. Then we are not the restaurant for you. I'm not going to be rude to them, but I reserve the right. I won't be rude to you, sir, but I do reserve the right to refuse your service. I'd hate you to for you to have wasted that 20 minutes in line over this minor issue, um, but it's a take it or leave it situation because you don't want that type of customer coming back. I know it's a terrible thing to say. It may amaze people, but I like to have a very nice, smoothly running business. That comes by giving people honest product, giving, trying to fulfill their expectations, but also letting them know this, if this is your expectation, this is not something we can provide. Because if you do it once and that kind of begins a downward slope of making your employees kind of fall out of their area of training. Um, I know it's not a popular thing to say, but you know, there's a certain point where you have to stand up for your brand. Now, if we make a mistake, I will bend over backwards to make it right. Put the wrong flavor on there, we're going to fix that. Foo wasn't up to spec. Not only are we giving you your money back, we're going to give you credit during your next visit, and we're going to make it right for you. But if you're going to get your jollies out of, you know, kicking us when we're down, um, that's that's not going to fly at 880 Old Rossville Road, and we're going to we're probably going to ask you to not not stick around for that day. And, and we'll, we will give you directions to another ice cream shop, but you're not going to be able to stay as a customer. So do you find it difficult, do you find it more difficult now dealing with negativity on social media versus negativity at the window? Now I realize that behind a keyboard everyone's a warrior and you're going to get a lot more on social media because they're not face to face. But let's just say for for this example, all things even, the person who is the jerk on Facebook or Yelp is also a person that's a jerk to your face at the window. Which do you find harder to deal with? Definitely the kind of anonymous comment on whatever social media. If if it's in response to something that actually occurred at the ice cream shop, I have context so I can understand and I can say respond. And not respond by saying, oh yeah, well, you too, buddy. It's like, you're exactly right, Dan. This is how it went down. And I'm sorry, but this happened because your request was not something we we provide, and I don't feel comfortable providing it. The way you reported is 100% accurate. I'm sorry that you chose not to, that you won't be uh, a customer in the future. I have context. I know what happened, and I can respond to it, or I can I can understand it better. But when there's kind of an anonymous complaint, specious or accurate. I didn't have a chance to remedy it because we will try to remedy problems that that you know that, that merit being fixed. You know, there's a chocolate sprinkle in my rainbow sprinkles. I am sorry about that, but is hey, this isn't made properly. Hey, we're going to fix that for you. So having something that has context that you can respond to and know, hey, this is going to come up and be an issue. Great, I know that's coming, but that kind of blindsided, um, specious um, complaint that really didn't have a method to which it could be addressed or or remedied, I think that's the most frustrating. And although I, I like genuine critiques that help me become better, I, I chafe and, and kind of over-obsess um, about negative comments that don't allow me 
the opportunity to improve, address, remedy, or 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 make up for. Oh, the sandwich is awful. I wish you would have told me while you were there. Tell me what you didn't like. Oh, yeah, that's obviously made wrong. Or, wow, that's not made to standard. Let's get you something else. Give me a chance to make it right. I don't want to be right. I want to make it right. I realize that I'm going to make mistakes all the time. Even my staff, fantastic as they are, are going to mis- make mistakes time to time through inattention, through through you know mental fatigue. We don't make money by making things poorly. We don't make money by upsetting our customer base. We make money by doing things properly. And if we don't do it right the first time, let us at least try to remedy it. If we can after that, maybe we are not the right restaurant for you that day. We're sorry. You know, and and we'll pick up the pieces afterwards. So definitely when I have an anonymous, unremediable um, complaint, that's much more frustrating. And I can tell you, I can run through the last 10 complaints that I've had online through my head almost verbatim. That's how much I will go back and reread them. And, and that and that's, again, that's one of those motivators for me. Like I said, fear and shame. I will copy and paste that complaint into a document and that's the first thing I'll look at the next day. I said, hey, we could have done better or how is this avoidable in the future or boy, I'm, I, I don't want to have to go through that again. So, um, do, do you feel that you spend too much time or too much energy on those complaints where you don't have the context in, in the sense of are you bothered I hope I can ask this correctly because it's kind of weird do you feel like that you are bothered more by the lack of context than by the actual complaint itself um, do you find that you 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 are frustrated when you read a complaint that says this banana split was horrible versus they forgot to put the bananas in my banana split do you find yourself getting frustrated more because of how ambiguous the 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 question or the complaint was versus the actual failure of making the product correctly I, I, the ambiguity and also yeah i don't want to be going after a coworker and say hey did you wait on dan today yeah he had a complaint about blah 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 I, i'm not going there and that's the nice thing about resolution with our staff also when there's a mistake many times a, a coworker will come to me hey i screwed this up and the last thing I do is going to, you don't want to yell at anybody. You don't want to give them a hard time. We do a lot of kind of post-mortem. Okay, you know, hey, Dan, tell me why you made that mistake. Uh, it was supposed to be like this and like this. Hey, my recommendation is when you have a specialty item, make it first or make it last. That way you give 100% of your attention to. Or uh, they ordered it a different way. Hey, keep asking questions then, Dan, until you have it perfectly synthesized in your mind how to make it. Or I mixed up this, you know, okay. We're always trying to find a way to make that, to avoid those problems in the past. So lack of context, as per your question, is is going to upset me because I don't know how to fix that problem. Why was it awful? Was it too, was the ice cream too soft? Did I put the wrong topping on? Was it too small? Um, was it not the toppings you expected? Did I put the wrong flavor ice cream on there? We've, we've identified there's a problem. There's no way to fix it. There's no course of remedy and that when there's no way to fix a problem that's going to fester and that's that is a big danger to my you know mental focus my emotional focus which is so important when you're dealing with like I said 300 people on a shift you know 30 an hour every two minutes you're waiting on someone if you're letting something fester it's occupying space in your brain best used for better customer service 
faster interactions, faster computations. And you, you can't let that type of unresolvable negativity occupy headspace when you need all that brain power and emotional power to, to really produce in, in, a, in a fast-paced environment. So, obviously, you know, your parents started the ice cream shop, you worked there, and then you end up taking over. You end up getting married. Like, who's your... Are they your main backstops? Are, are, are your parents and your wife, or do you have a mentor? Like, who is your your go-to when you have one of those days where it feels like the wheels have fallen off or is it just do you self, sit in self-reflection and do it alone how how do you cope with those days where it feels like you worked and you saw all 40 of those bad people boom 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 in a single day i'm pretty selfish with my own um you know self-reflection i try not to dump it on other people um because in essence, that's not really going to solve anything most of the time. I don't want to bother my parents because that upsets them. I don't want to bother my wife because it's going to upset her. That just gives her, you know, I'd rather bear that load myself because, you know, it, it, by obsessing over it and by doing that postmortem, you know, you, 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 I kind of go through those stages of grief as I'm as I'm going over that negativity. I certainly share it with people and it's great to hear some platitudes like, oh, you know, don't worry, that's one out of a thousand customers and that helps but I really kind of take that and make it my own and sit and sometimes to negative effect, many times to negative effect, stew over it. Um, But I don't like to kind of run and seek help from others. I don't know if it's I'm incapable of doing or just not used to it. Um, It's... one of the discussions I've had with my wife regarding kind of the very macho butch culture that um, I was raised in is that you know you don't you don't complain you don't complain you don't explain you know you you own up to what you did badly or you own up to what your business did and then that's you you wear that around your neck until you you learn how to fix it or you get over it so like I said, I'm very selfish with that type of self-reflection. I may share information, but I don't try and really dump it on other people because I feel that's unfair. Um, I don't want to give them extra weight to carry on their daily journey. It's something that I gladly take on my back and say, hey, this is this is part of the business. And it's easier now after 35 years. I, I don't get crushed as much as I did early on in my career because I know that most of the time we're hitting it out of the park. Um, but there are times when we make mistakes and there are times when there are people just can't be made happy. You know, I absorb it, I internalize it, I get over it to a certain degree, but I always will carry that little scar along with me and gladly so. Do you obsess over it? Like, like let's say for an example, you had a particularly rough day with, you know, five customer complaints ranging from this just doesn't taste right to you forgot to put this in it. So some legitimate and some more taste, you know, like it's not the way mom made it. So I don't like it type situations. How much do you obsess over those? I mean, I guess it's easier with the process ones. Hey, we made this wrong. What can I put in place to fix it? So it doesn't happen again. 
How about the ones where it's a taste thing? Do you really take, other than saying, hey, maybe the person's right, maybe this mix is off or, or something, but do you really hold on to those long or just like, hey, it's a complaint, I know that's going to happen and I move on? Like, How much do you carry those with you and for how long? Fortunately and unfortunately, they are complaints are so rare. I, I would I think that this past season we may have had five or six items returned for quality which is amazing when we're making 80 to 83,000 items in a season to have five or six items returned because this tastes awful I don't like this now that's who our favorite I'm sure some things are thrown out ooh I don't like it but to come back and say this is just not okay um, that's a pretty good track record but when they kind of I don't like this okay what do you want me to make you instead well, I don't like it because. Thank you for telling me why, because I'll check into that. It doesn't really matter because I'm going to make it right for you. If you don't like it because uh, it's this, doesn't matter. We're going to make it right for you. Then I will go back and, again, do that type of postmortem. Okay, it tastes fine to me. Maybe they just didn't, this isn't up their alley. Or, hey, Kendra, come taste this. Casey, what do you think of this? I think it's okay. Okay. That person just did not like it. Now, if I had three or four people come back in a row, now we've got a problem for the exact same item. we got to make sure, okay, pull that entire batch. We're out of it until I make a fresh one. Let's start over. That, that's, a, that's a true quality issue. So I, I don't obsess over those because that's easily, we can remedy it. We can placate the customer to the best of our ability if they can be, you know, placated. And then we move on. Uh, or, you know, like I said, if it's a more uh, a process, they, hey, this product we got in from, you know, supplier XYZ, this is a suspect. We got to get rid of it. Okay, that's been fixed. But it's the, it's, it's the ones that, I don't know, I just I just don't like this place. What do you, I don't know, I don't like it. I, what can I do to fix that? It's, it's where I can't move in and fix the problem. That's more frustrating and, and will cause me to obsess a, a lot more. So what do you say about the the corporate salesperson? Let's say a guy's selling keyboards mm -hmm. um, and their warehouse just doesn't have them. They're out, mm -hmm. but the customer's chirping in your ear. You know, what do you say to that salesperson about that situation? Do, is it worth carrying that? I mean, other than saying to your manager, hey, I'm getting a lot of back orders or a lot of people want these, there's really not much you can do. But you also want to be investing in your customers, so you, you have to find that balance because you want to feel empathy for them, but you also, it really is mostly out of your control. So how do you, you know, what would be your suggestion to have, to have that person cope with something like that? Uh, a little bit of my pay grade. I, I, I would say, you know, what were they promised? You know, how long ago was this item, this service, this product promise to them where when did we know that we were going to let them down why didn't we give them lead time but certainly address that and say you know Dan what I'm hearing is you're upset about not ha us having this keyboard yeah that's frustrating because we're experiencing that with a lot of different um, clients right now I don't know we're going to get them back in we, we definitely dropped the ball with, with your company today what can we do in the meantime you tell me what we can do right now short of getting that keyboard which I don't know when we can get it what do you want us to do to make it right for right now until we can get it? I'm concerned about what happened here. It's not emblematic of what I want to deliver to you or what our customer, what our company owes you. You tell me what we can do to make it right. 
put you know empower me to fix things for you short of what we can't do and if I can do it I will if I can't I'll tell you again I'm gonna give you the information about what we're gonna do to make it right for you you tell me what your level of happiness is by what I'm doing so definitely try and meet their expectation especially if you promised it you know if you say I can get you that and then two weeks later I don't have it I probably shouldn't promise you that you know you really need to address problems head-on and admit to it yeah we, we dropped the ball on you it doesn't solve the problem but you know that type of honesty is often refreshing because it's a it's kind of this pass the bulk culture that's been around for so long and no one believes in you know standing by that type of integrity and when you do you know you definitely uh, whether it's a new customer or a long-term customer you owe them transparency and honesty or you're in the wrong business or working for the wrong company I think it's interesting that you say above your pay grade um, but you don't get to have a how many years is it now for the ice cream shop uh, it's been open since 69 this will be our 52nd year I've been there since 85 so this will start my 36th year of, of, of being with the company so so 50 plus years 30 plus years for you personally you just don't get there by happening you, you know what I mean like if there's any breakdown, you can have a how many companies do we had a great product that are out of business or how many companies have had great customer service but had bad product and have gone out of business and the fact that you you've been around and have a great following great product you're obviously profitable because no one's in business to lose money um, you know, unless you're doing some shady IRS stuff and that's what you want to do. But I don't think it's above your pay grade because I think you're a prime example regardless of the industry. And, and I know you don't like looking at it that way. I think it makes you a little bit uncomfortable thinking about that. But I think you have it right. Like your processes, I think, can relate to any type of industry. It's just, it, it, it's, I don't know that you feel that way, but, but I think you should really look at it that way. Like, I really think that you have a methodology of how things should work and do work, and it's been successful. Thank you. That's that's very flattering. And I, I think I don't say suffer from this point of view, but I, you know, I see it through the other end of the microscope. I'm going in there. I'm flipping burgers. I'm shaking out fries. I'm putting sprinkles on cones, and I'm making change. So I, that's what I see. I tell people 90% of my what I do on a daily basis at the ice cream shop could be done by a precocious 18-year-old with a math fetish, honestly. Um, the other 10%, you know, is really more refined skills. But, I, I, you know, it, I, 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 there, there's a great danger on both ends of that spectrum of thinking that you've got it all figured out. And that's when you don't see roadblocks. When you think, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Nietzsche's Superman. I'm beyond good and evil. I, you know, I can do whatever I want, and I'm untouchable." But then there's also that danger of being the other end. It's like, "Oh, I just, you know, I don't know what I'm doing," and you know that attracts the wrong type of attention, also. So, um, you know, I like keeping it simple there because you know, just if you serve good food, properly priced, honestly made, that everyone's going to like, that's a no-brainer. But once you get successful, everyone starts concentrating on making money versus making that product. If you make enough ice cream, you're going to make money. Concentrate on making the ice cream, making it properly, then you will make money. If you concentrate on making money, you lose sight of what got you there. And uh, if you keep it simple and stay true to, to your original plan of just making good food or whatever you're making and taking care of the customer, that money and notoriety will come in time. Just don't try and 
speed the plow by concentrating on accolades and money before you concentrate on making your product and keeping your customer happy. Cool. <laughs> I, I, that was so uncomfortable for you, wasn't it? It, it is. It just I because the biggest the biggest danger and we'll probably get to it in the weight loss in the, in the dark part of it, is patting yourself on the back thinking wow man I really got it made no you don't you're never you are never further from your goal than when you start towards it because the moment you think that you've oh, man I, I got this figured out you start slowing down you get into this state of lassitude and then you, you don't pay attention to those little details so if you always think that you're struggling and you're second best, you're going to keep working at it. So to any type of accolade, I, I, I'm, I'm easier taking, as much as I, I obsess over complaints, I'm very quick to brush off any type of, of, of compliment because, you know, that's, I, I'd rather deflect that. Yeah, oh man, we had a great time. You're doing great. Thank you. Mom and dad knew what they were doing in 69. My staff's great. We have great customers. My contribution doesn't really enter into that discussion because I just... I keep thinking, hey, I got to go scrub that toilet later on the day. That's my level of comfort some days at the at the restaurant because that's what needs to be done. You know, it's you know our our success isn't isn't uh, it's it's just based at the core, just making food. It's a very simple concept, and I don't like to complicate it or or kind of think I've got things figured out because I know I've you know I'm going to make more mistakes this year probably than I made last year, and. Um, you know, that's that's where growth happens when you make that mistake and, and you learn from it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, I don't know what commercial I'm going to put on here, but it'll be something to try and make me some money. And uh, this is why we don't do video, so I can watch you eat that lemon out of your iced tea. Yeah, citrus is very important. <laughs> we'll be right back, and we'll wrap it up here with a quick 10-minute segment. And uh, we'll end part one, the the business life of Donald Reeser Jr. on the Mental Cast. We'll be right back. Attention to the things that are happening in this very moment may sound easy, but how many times has our attention redirected our thoughts? Although thinking is undeniably very handy, as it allows us to make plans and solve difficult problems, at the same time, it often triggers many problems. Our mind can easily get lost in endless thinking. This is a problem that I have had since a child. I felt like I was going to have to live with a foggy mind and anxiety for the rest of my life. Hi everyone, this is Dan Mickle, founder of Soul Performance Academy and DanMickle.com. I eventually started to look for a solution to my foggy mind and anxiety, and that led me to the practice of mindfulness. The journey was not easy. There was a lot of misinformation, speculation, and downright fear surrounding the art of mindfulness. Luckily, I found methods and resources that helped me, and now I'm offering those methods to you. Mindfulness Online is our eight-week self-paced mindfulness course that is perfect for people of all ages and backgrounds. Whether you are a student struggling with the stresses of school or a stay-at-home mom who can't stop her mind from racing with thoughts 24-7, this program is designed for you. Designed by Dr. Hugo Alberts of Positive Psychology Incorporated, this course is a great way to start your journey to a calm mind. This eight-week self-paced course will cover topics like attention, automaticity, the ego, and compassion. The course is jam-packed with videos, presentations, and other resources to help you on your journey. 
This course is also designed to go at your own pace and is available across all platforms and web browsers. Visit us at campus.soulperformanceacademy.com today for more details and to sign up for this great course. Listeners of this podcast can currently get 50% off the course by entering the code PODCAST2020. Again, visit campus.soulperformanceacademy.com and use code PODCAST2020 to receive 50% off this great eight-week course. As an additional gift, you will also receive two free eBooks when you sign up. Stress Less and Mindful Meditation are two great companion books to go along with this course. Both books are 100% free when you register for this mindfulness online course. So last time, visit campus.soulperformancecami.com and use code PODCAST2020 to receive 50% off a mindfulness online course and get your free two ebooks today. Recorded her book. The entire thing I got. And again, I'm not editing that out. That's that was awesome. totally That's on awesome. record. That's so we are back raw. Uh, joined by Donald Reeser Jr., proprietor. And again, you might want to check how to spell that in case you're going to put it on letterhead and hand it there out There are to multiple play, ways to spell it. I mean, there's one. People that only spell words one way are, are really, uh, they bore me. So we talked about the preseason. We talked about in-season. We talked about, you know, switching between customer service and what's good for the business and good for your staff. And I just kind of want to wrap it up with the thought of the end of the season. Um, and this is the part that I think will relate to most of my listeners that are coaches at some level. How do you go from 101 days to zero? Like, how do you shut it off? Now, I know there'll be trickling stuff, you know, cleaning the machines and ending the staff and finishing the payroll and tax and all that. But, I mean, you go from an 80-hour work week to maybe a 20, which is still a, a heavy work week, but it's literally overnight. How do you deal with the, oh, my God, I got free time? Because I know as a college coach, that's where I struggle the most. I'm in full gear, and then the minute our season's over, it's like, oh, Lord, it's over. Like, so how do you deal with that aspect? That, that is something I really struggle with. Um, and both, you know, physically and emotionally, you know, I don't know if I would term it as depression, but you know, I, I, the day after we close, I mean, I go from being, you know, somebody, I mean, I, I say something and, you know, staff, they, they do it, you know, I'm, I'm generating a lot of income. And the next day I'm, I'm a guy who can't, figure out how to order his cheesesteak over at uh, the Philly cheesesteak place. Um, so it goes from being incredibly relevant to just really nobody. And, you know, I, I try to keep my ego in check most days there, but it, it's very humbling to go from, you know, someone that was kind of marshalling this, this business plan and executing and day in, day out and seeing all these people to just, you know, just a dude washing his socks. Um, and then physically also, I sleep for about 36 hours like that day and getting up only to go out and have lunch and dinner but the body really needs to recover um, all those little nagging injuries and, and cuts and bruises and uh, you know that you can't take a day off of it's nice to heal up but it, it's you look I, you look forward to that day off so badly that like man and, and then you talk about a list it's like here's what I'm going to do on that day off I'm going to go get the Chinese buffet and I'm going to you know, renew my driver's license and stuff like that. 
all those unaddressed personal issues that you couldn't take up during the summer, take care of during the summer, you're able to finally knock out. And you know, it just feels like a great sense of completion for there. But you know, it's it's that after action there. You come down from the hills and you bayonet the wounded. You look at everything you did wrong that year. And you know, it's like, boy, I, I need to fix that. Or you do repairs and, and things like that. Um, it, it does call call for a lot of introspection and really kind of assessing, um, you know, we could have done this better. Boy, we really did well here. And, you know, I always say that the next season starts, you know, f- season 52, 52 started the day we closed, finished up Operation Season 51. Of course, we're already getting ready a- at that point. Um so, you know, I think it was James Harrison from the Steelers. After they lost the Super Bowl, what did he do? He went to the weight room and he trained for two hours after the Super Bowl or the one playoff game. You're getting ready literally that next morning. Here's what we need to do for next year. We need to start laying the groundwork for the next season. So, I mean, there's there's uptime, there's downtime, but there's no there's no real off time. You know, even even you know, Dan, you're you're probably thinking the day after the season ends, boy, we, we gotta get on recruiting. Boy, we need to do this following up. You know, it's it's that illusion that I'm not working now. When you get to that proprietor executive level, you should always be working. You, you know, your body line might not be moving, but you should always, you know, be working in the back of your mind. Something's fermenting. You're you're cogitating about what can we do next year? What can we do, you know, next week to get ready for your ultimate success? So I could be wrong on this. So just correct me if I am, but it's been recent years that you've haven't had a hard stop date, right? Like it used to be, you stopped on that last Sunday night and that was it. And then recently, right, you've you've added like the two extra weekends, so you kind of go back to the way you started with not the full week. Um, but you did used to do it just a pure stop, correct? Correct. Memorial Day that Monday used to be. I'm sorry, Labor Day that Monday um, used to be the the last day of the season, the first Monday in September. Um, and then uh, six or seven years ago, we added two weekends after Labor Day. And the benefit for that was it allowed us to get our inventory down a little bit. Uh, you'd, you know, if you're super, if it's great weather on Labor Day. You don't want to run out of product at 7 p.m. when you might still see another, you know, 200 people show up and you got to turn them away. That create you know, loss of income, but also, you know, people will get upset. By having two extra weekends, you can run your inventory down. It's a good way to kind of wind down, um, get your inventory down, give the employees a way to kind of phase themselves out also give them opportunity to, you know, to look for seasonal job while still having a little bit of income coming in. And like you said, allows me to wind down a bit more because that abrupt stop, you know, if it's bad weather on Labor Day weekend, I could be stuck with a ton of product and you've either got to throw it out or, you know, or, or do something with it. Whereas, you know, if you run out of product two weekends after Labor Day when it's slowing down, you don't, you don't really feel as bad. So it's, it's a good way to kind of you know, slowly ease out of the season rather than coming to a screeching halt, which is a bit more abrupt and, and fraught with some um, additional challenges, you know, inventory and, and, and in other aspects also. So if you took the inventory aspect out of it, if you took everything out of it except for just you mentally, 
do you like having that wind down or did you like having the hard stop having the wind down is, is easier um you know it does add two more weekends of work but you know that's that's part of the process and and my staff likes it also it is oh boy it's really nice to have a tuesday off or i didn't realize what's on tv on a wednesday evening so it's a nice way to kind of really ease out of it and it creates an easier segue you know mentally and you know physically it's hard though because when you come to that stop then you realize well you got to get right back in it a couple days later it's kind of a jolt but um mentally and emotionally it's easier to have those two extra weekends um to to just kind of slowly govern down your 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 contributions so let's just wrap this all up in the sense of in any industry not specific to the food industry let's say what would be your three uh, gifts or nuggets of knowledge that you would give anyone whether it's Susie opening up a yarn shop or it's Joe who's trying to sell insurance from a cubicle with 800 800 other insurance agents you know what are some of the processes that you think would help them be successful in what they were doing make sure that this is something that you want to and can do the rest of your life if this is not something you're planning to do the rest of your life you should make a change now I understand there are jobs versus careers if this is something that you're going to dedicate a lot of your resources to and it's not a lifelong thing you should probably be changing what you're doing if you can and that might not be realistic for everybody but you know you you need to I can do this for three years okay for those three years that's fine but if you're going to open a business, start a business, get involved in something, you know, you, you better make sure it's something that you enjoy. You don't have to enjoy every single aspect of what you do. Uh, I don't like going in there scrubbing toilets. I don't like getting on my hands and knees and scrubbing the floors, cleaning the machines. Um, but that is part of the process because I love the process. I love the results from that. So... Make sure it's something that you know that you're going to be able to do mentally and physically for your entire career. I would say that was number one. Number two, you know, if you're going to go, go Roman. Go all the way. You Make sure that you're giving everything that you have to the process, physically, emotionally, mentally. You need to be invested in that. If you don't, you are selling your customer base short. You're not going to perform. Your coworkers, your employees are not going to get what they want out of the experience either because you're going to you're going to do a crappy job you're going to have a crappy product and then you're going to hear about it but also your coworkers your employees are going to hear about it and they're they're not going to work at a place where they're constantly um, hearing complaints you know that's where we're lucky they're not getting complaints about product or process all the time from from the customers so that makes it easier to to be a part of it so you know something you can do all you know your entire life and you want to do your life number two go all the way in number three um try and achieve some balance there i mean even though i say i'm working all the time you know be able to set hey i'm going to set one hour aside for myself yeah those problems are still going to be there but I'm not going to actively obsess over them for that one hour. Be able to take some time, however you want to do it, reading, hiking, gaming, that you can recharge your batteries because, you know, if you run yourself completely 
down to zero. You're no good to yourself. You're no good to your customers. You're no good to your business. You're going to have to seek a certain amount of of, of self-help and 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 and, and, and self say medicating, but but, but self-help there, self-care. Um, that's going to allow you to continue to, um, to 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 produce. Because if you run yourself completely on that ragged edge for too long, you know you're going to burn out, and then you're going to want to quit or you're in the process you're going to allow the the you know the procedures and your product to to be not as good okay so i want to end with this then for part one the business world of donald research jr what is one skill or one mechanism that you think people should have in their toolbox for success not a philosophy like you just gave like what is one solid do this to help you be successful you know mental flexibility you know no plan regardless of your plan it's going to be awful if if it doesn't allow for alteration through um through time because you know your your intent may not alter but circumstances might you know and, and remember the dinosaurs man you know you don't want to be extinct you don't want to be obsolete you know understand that there are forces out there that may force you to alter or change the way you do things but it shouldn't change why you're doing things um, and you need to be willing and ready to meet these challenges head on and understand it's not just you know an inconvenience this is part of the process the ability to accept analyze the these these challenges and and change your your processes to to, to meet these these new challenges if you if you're in lockstep all the time you're going to fail the first time that you you encounter a, a problem. If you stay mentally agile and are willing to to meet head on and and almost enjoy that new challenge, um, you're you're going to go far in whatever industry that you're in. Um, you'll be okay. Sweet. I think that pretty much uh, wraps up our part one of your professional life, and then uh, we'll sit down and do. The weight loss journey and you as Grim Reeser, the dart player, which I think is interesting because I feel like you have a different personality for all three of these aspects, which is kind of why I wanted to do this series. So I'll call this the Donald Reeser Jr. talk, and then we'll have the Don Reeser weight loss toss talk, and then we'll have the Grim Reeser dart talk. Sound like a plan? I look forward to reading it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know you know what I'm just going to print out the transcript that's awesome alright so this has been The Mental Cast I'm Dan Mickle your host with Donald Reeser Jr proprietor of Reeser Soft Ice Cream in Lewisbury, Pennsylvania and all the links to find them and his witty comments will be listed and thank you and hope you join us for part two and part three of this talk in the weeks to come.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. Please remember to follow us on all social media at 717Soul and drop by our Facebook and Twitter pages to leave us your comments and your show ideas. And don't forget, the official Don't Suck Performance Journal is now available for purchase online. Visit 717Soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717Soul.com slash DSPJ for more information and to order your copy today. Have a great day and remember, don't suck.